Is the land restitution process being corrupted by the ruling African National Congress? We speak to land restitution consultant, Mr. Jan Vessels. Welcome, Jan. Hi, Chris. Jan, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Do you believe that the ANC has a particular strategy to circumvent the restitution process? Chris, my research project was done in the Northern Cape, but there's substantial proof that all my findings can also be projected nationally. Keep in mind that there are two processes to address land ownership, the, the, the land ownership matter. In the first place, land reform. And that is to any previously disadvantaged person who apply for land. And in the context of the ANC in control, you can guess who the beneficiaries of that policy probably would be. Then there's the land restitution process, and that is uh, been put in place for people who were forcefully removed because of the 1913 Act. Historically, the majority of the black South Africans with roots in the tribal communities. Our constitution, in line with international recognized indigenous laws, which recognize traditional leadership structures on the historic traditional land, and along with this is a set of customary law rights in land observed by the tribes like in the Zululand kingdom status. Before the Europeans came to Africa, land was owned on a zero-paper customary law occupation basis by the indigenous people, which is an internationally recognized ownership status. Now, the restitution concept in our constitution was triggered by the UN Convention of 1976, which declared apartheid as a crime against humanity, and that also instructed restitution. This convention was then used by the ANC to impose sanctions on the national party government. Title deeds did not exist until the British started surveying farms in the and the colonial government imposed crown land laws. Because of the Union of South Africa's 1930 Land Act, large numbers of people were removed and displaced from their ancestral traditional land on which they never had any title deed. Now, huge promises of restitution was made by the heroic ANC during the uprise to the 19. 94 elections, and the restitution claims were submitted before December 1998. However, when the claim process started, the ANC appointed Land Claims Commissioner, provided the restitution claimants with claim forms, which only provided the option to claim a single farm by name and title deed description, which they lost after 1930. The claim forms did not provide any option to claim customary law rents, land, right, territories, which was the only ownership status the tribes ever had. 
Some of the claimants realized the problem they faced, and despite the fact that the forms did not provide an option to claim customary law land, they mentioned the territory to be claimed on behalf of the traditional authority. Thus, tribal territory customary law rights in land claims were then deliberately watered down by the land claims commissioner to labor tenant status. Now, labor tenant status does not give the claimants any right to minerals like in the case of the customary law ownership. Undoubtedly, a well-planned strategy was implemented by the ANC to window dress the restitution process, spending billions of rands of taxpayers' money with a zero-result outcome guarantee. This strategy was planned even before 1994 because loopholes were placed discreetly in the Act on Land Restitution and the Act on Minerals by the lawmakers to be used to circumvent the constitutional intent for restitution. The restitution process is laid out in the Restitution Act with time frames allocated and all the processes described on how it should be run, but it's mind-boggling how ignorant the Land Claims Commissioner is with regard to these procedures. In implementing this non-restitution process, the ANC is putting the national security as a, at risk, as this non-restitution strategy will most certainly lead to the Zimbabwean outcome as communities are running out of patience. This deliberate delay of the restitution process is keeping the poor communities poor and relying on state financial support where they could have made their own subsistence living on, on the land they were supposed to have. Part of this process is also that the very small percentage of land which is obtained to window dress this restitution process is not given to the tribal communities, but to the ANC-orientated communal property associations who are not linked to the customary law rights communities and, structures in a, and structured in a way that even that land still stays under control of the ANC-orientated CPAs. And that is a, a, a summary of, of what has happened, and that is definitely a planned strategy followed in order not to do restitution. Jan, uh, can you give us a case study, an example where you have seen this personally in practice? I think by explaining the aim of that strategy will lead me into an example uh, of 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 the specific uh, uh, um, program that they follow. Customary law rights in land includes minerals. We have the Richtersfeld Constitutional Court ruling, which confirms this matter. The ANC is the best legal advice that money can buy, and they knew minerals 
should belong to the customary law rights in land owners, which is the communities, long before 1994, and even longer before the Richtersfeld Court ruling clarified that. The ANC, therefore, positioned themselves to take up that 30% BEE component as required by their own mining charter instead of the constitutionally intended communities. The mining charter dictates that 25% of the 30% BEE component be allocated to the so-called entrepreneurs. And in this ANC environment, you can imagine who that would be. While only 5% is allocated to the hosting communities, which is actually supposed to be the 100% owners of that mineral rights. This 5%, which by the mining charter is allocated to them, as it is now, never reached these communities. It is all vaporizing into the ANC structures that is set up to even suck up that 5%. This 5% share allocated to the communities is a typical indicator of the disregard of the ANC for the tribal communities. Only 5% to who actually should own the minerals. The ANC is very aware that once the land restitution process put the land and minerals under ownership of the tribes, mining companies will run to the tribes for mining agreements and would not need the politically connected BEE partnerships to get mining rights allocated. So restitution of land will take the ANC politicians who are currently in control and usually benefiting from the minerals on the customary law rights, land, properties, completely out of play. Now, in order for the ANC to ensure that non-restitution, that this non-restitution strategy is going smoothly and to ensure lowest possible resistance from the tribal communities, they implemented three steps in, 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 in uh, uh, perfecting that strategy. In the first place is they capture the tribal authorities. They capture the tribal authorities so they can then dictate the capturing of the land restitution process with now no resistance from the tribal authorities, which is actually fake authority. And through capturing the restitution process, they capture the minerals. Now, one can argue actually that this constitutes, constitutes state capture chapter one. The one that we recently was exposed to, I think was a copy-paste of the previous one. Now you ask for an example. If you look at the Tsining claim that is in the Kuruman area submitted within the time frame before 1998, the land claim was initially validated after it was submitted on behalf of the tribal leadership of the Tsining chieftaincy. According to history, Literature from long ago 
and customary transfer of history. This area was approximately 140 kilometers by 80 kilometers to the northwestern side of Kuruma. Now, this claim was reduced systematically by the Land Claims Commissioner from a customary law traditional claim to a five-farm labor-tenant claim by deliberately criminally changing wording on the claim documents in the Land Claims Commissioner's offices. Now, what makes this changing of the status of the claim even more remarkable is the fact that the Rustersfeld ruling against the minister shortly before this event, where the court declared that minerals is part of the customary law rights that the people observed. So the minister at the time these changes were made were absolutely aware of the court ruling that that mineral should go with the land restitution process. So that is the Tineng claim that has been deliberately watered down to a labor tenant claim which has a lot, lost, a lot less in substance than the customary law claim. Can they prove their case and can they prove their bloodline that that they are the real owners of the ancestral land? It is absolutely correct that they can prove all of that. The Bahamatwari tribe and the associated clans can prove their history as occupants of the subject Kuruman area. And they can claim their valid claims. They can prove also how the ANC government hijacked their traditional leadership by appointing persons of lower hierarchy in the bloodline to become the paramount chief and also other leadership positions. This has actually been confirmed that these bloodlines have been hijacked and that there's already court rulings and um, that, that these people should have been removed out of their places, but the premier of the Northern Cape is keeping them in place in order to keep those mining issues in their hands. If we may just talk about the corruption of the bloodlines or bloodlines being captured, are these puppet chiefs re related or are they from the same bloodline as the one that got corrupted by the old apartheid government when they put in power chiefs who supported the homelands? Chris, yes, there is a tendency that the chiefs who agree to the Baputatswana dispensation was put in position at the time by Lucas Mongope. And these people are still in position, those alive, and that blood or that specific person's heirs are still favored instead of the actual bloodlines. If you look at it at that time, in, in the view of the customary law um, communities, those who favored the Baputatswana setup was traitors. And they were the easy ones to be manipulated by the governments as the governments was later on given even over to the ANC. So this strategy of appointing fake leadership also creates mistrust 
and split loyalty within the communities, giving momentum to the ANC's divide and rule strategy. Now, that would keep the communities in fighting and instead of focusing their attention of fighting the government. Talking about these uh, corrupted bloodlines once again, surely it goes back even further to colonial times when chiefs who didn't join the rebellion were favoured and put in power. Am I right? You are absolutely right. If you look at the events around 1898, the British actually started this divide and rule strategy among the tribes by capturing the then chief total at the Langeberg near Willy van Zoek. They sent him and his heir son to Robben Island. And since then, through the British reign, which was passed on to the National Party reign and currently being abused by the ANC, the governments follow the same strategy and tend to appoint these traditional leaders out of line of the real royal families to ensure this friction of the tribes and to ensure puppet leaders will, which will agree to all suggestions made by government. This divide in the rule strategy, however, is further developed by the ANC by implement, implementing what we they call this communal property association structures, which is a legal entity that was fabricated by the ANC, which is now used as the window dressing process for land restitution. So this so-called community property association consists of members randomly picked out of the communities with no links to the traditional leadership. And these CPAs are then put in charge of the small portions of land, which they then hand over to these CPAs and then to tick off the box to say that that land claim has been settled, which the real claimants, who are the traditional uh, communities, hasn't until today received any land from government. They use this supplementing uh, um, land restitution puppet structure of the Communal Property Association to do some window dressing, and the real restitution never happened. Now, with these long-standing odds against them, what hope do the true owners of the ancestral land have of ever benefiting from their land? Chris, I think it's absolutely possible that they can have it. There are already constitutional and high court rulings on similar cases in different areas of the country where the rulings already created legal precedents which are precisely applicable here. My advice to the tribe is to get a legal team to take this long-standing corruption matter to court. Based on the legal facts, they will succeed in getting these unwanted ANC criminals out of their land and mineral benefits. I also advise them to secure strategic business partnerships to assist them to manage their assets 
when they go into partnerships with mining companies, excluding these ANC traders. It is just <laughs> remarkable how long the ANC could fool their voters by pretending to be busy with the land restitution process, while in reality they are buying time to steal on a daily basis the poor community's share of minerals which is intended by the constitution for them. And what upsets me the most is the fact that the ANC is blaming white farmers for this delay. Now, Jan, uh, I would imagine that th these clans don't have money, not having benefited from the mineral minerals in any significant way or, or it, at all, to take legal action. So what is the way forward for them? No, I would suggest that they go for, you know, to find some legal uh, teams that would be prepared to work on a contingency base for them because there will be a lot of money available once they succeed. Not if they succeed, is when they succeed. Uh, this just cannot stand, even in the constitutional court, the way it's going on now. So my advice would be to get a legal team that's prepared to take that up. Is it even possible to calculate their losses in terms of income from mineral rights? I never venture into that kind of figures, but I can tell you it is billions of rands that they lost over the last, since the ANC took over. And remember, the, there was, in the, ANC, in the National Party time, we still had this old, old order mining rights, which I think was in 2004 to 2006, had to be converted from old order to new order mining rights. So, since then, I mean, it's billions of rands that went down the ANC pockets instead of being spent in the Northern Cape where the beneficiaries actually live. It would have been a complete different economic situation in the Northern Cape where the people are actually poor at the moment. Thank you. That was Jan Vessels, land restitution consultant, speaking to Biz News about how the land restitution process is being circumvented by the African National Congress. Thank you, Jan.